reading, which is Romans um, 3, uh, 21 through uh, Romans 4. Actually, uh, uh, yeah, th- verse, um, through, through verse 13. And I'm not sure if in, in yours it does add 18 through 25. There's a little caveat there. Yes, it does. Good. Cool. Let's let's see here. So, now, now let me let me just set this up a little bit. Um, the reason why we jump to the New Testament as well in this story is because it's one of those unique stories in the Bible about Abraham that then is expounded on in the New Testament. So think about that according to what I just said with inspiration, right? If if the scriptures are inspired, and and we have Genesis being inspired, and then Romans being inspired, get that overlap there, right? That now you have an inspired text about an inspired text. And I don't want to get in trouble with the theologians here as calling that doubly inspired because it's it's not in that sense. But what a gift, right? That any time you can find Jesus or Paul or anyone in the New Testament expounding on things in the New Testament or the Old Testament Opening that up to us, that's that's a, a doubly in gift to us. It's it's the story plus the inspired interpretation of that story. And so we can't go wrong with looking through that lens this morning. But you notice in that first reading, right, that uh, it starts right out that God was gracious to Sarah as he said. And if you have a pen out and you, you like to underline and do these things, I mean, if I was sitting there where you are, that leaps out to me, as he said. And the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. And, and it came at the very time to Abraham as God had promised to him. And you'd almost think that the message would be about what God has promised And it is about that, but the ultimate thing that we want to look at is our faith this morning. Have you placed your faith in what He has promised? That's the model that we're going to get from Abraham here, that he believed God at what God had said. And I'm telling you, write that down. If you get that this morning... um, I'd almost say you're free to leave right now, but I'm afraid that some of you might fake that. And uh, no, just kidding. Um, But if you get that, you get the gist of the message this morning. You know, a while back we had thought about as elders that, you know, maybe it's a good idea to go over some of the things that we believe. Um, If you if you look on the on the. Well, actually, I should have looked this morning. I have no idea if this is in our bulletin or not. Are our core values in there? Right. I should have just winked at Rianne and she would have got that from me. But yes, our core values are stated there. And if you want to turn to that, just look out really quick. We're just going to look at the first value there. They're on the back page, you said? Yeah. Back page. I believe the first value should, should state this. It should say biblically based. Okay. And, and, and that was an acrostic that came from another church uh, that they had laid it out that way. Um, but the group that put together the, the kind of the founding folks that gathered together and, and formed this fellowship, 
they were like, you know what? We like that. We like that. That's important to us that this fellowship would be biblically based. And let's be honest, if, if you're a visitor here, I guarantee you have this problem in your town as well. Um, but, but those of us that have lived here, and of course some of you have lived here like longer than I've been alive. Um, and and you, you are true Eastern Sierra locals. But we know that, that churches have imploded. Churches have blown up. Uh, churches have train wrecked. I mean, the list goes on. And, and, and wounded, perhaps you. It's, I, when I was uh, up in Reno this last week, uh, we got to meet with some, some friends from our, that used to be part of the fellowship up there that we, uh, I did 10 years as a youth pastor in Reno. It was just, that was part of my journey, but it was great catching up with some people, but it was interesting to hear about the problems at the big church that they go to in Reno. Uh, Reno Sparks. I should probably change the name of the city to protect the innocent. Huh? But somewhere up there in northwestern Nevada, there is a church with issues, right? And I thought, wow, isn't that interesting? Well, when those that gathered together wanted to put this fellowship together, these were some important things to them, and they are still important to us. Core values, things that we would say, hey, this is what we want to be about. Now, now, picture this as a core value. Uh, I'm just trying to give you a, a mental picture of core values. Um, when I used to work for the water district, I was just thankful to have a job. And I wanted to do well at my job. But it took me a long time to really understand the value of my job. You see, and, and you know, if I could go back to the water district, I would teach on this. I would say, hey, you need to have a vision class on the importance of just having a job here. That it's bigger than just showing up on time and doing your work and everything. But do you know that a good water system will have enough storage in case there's a crazy fire? That they're able to, you know, ramp up the fire hydrants and start blowing water in major amounts at a fire. Now you think, well, how much fire can, can one house use up? You know, how much water, I mean, can one... You know, I, I should ask my fire guys here. It's probably a lot more than I think. Um, one of my favorite times as a water guy was when I was in training. And uh, I was putting this tapping saddle on an 8-inch water main. And the, the foreman was up above him. Well, what a lesson as a, as a... I was like 20 years old, I think, at the time. What a lesson in, in learning to listen to my authorities, right? I was so out to prove myself, and, and I had this ratchet down in there, and I was tightening up this tapping saddle, um, which is, was basically like this metal sleeve that goes around the pipe. It makes a T so they can put the fire hydrant up here on the curb. And, but we're starting with a pipe that's loaded with, with pressurized water. And, and my boss said, that's good enough, Mark. And I went ahead and gave it that extra little oomph. And so the tapping saddle worked as a snap cutter. <laughs> Basically, the pressure just broke the 8-inch pipe in half. Just, just cracked it. And I am not kidding. I, when I got home, I was taking rocks and stuff out of my pants. That giant trench in an 8-inch pipe broke in half filled up in like seconds and was running down the street in... in 
Like, I wanted to call and stalk that thing with trout. Okay, it was like, oh, this is exciting. If we could just get rid of the chlorine, we could fish here, man. Like, this is amazing. It was, it was that much water running down the street. And, and so, <laughs> on a tangent here for sure, but, but back to that thing of spraying water on a fire. Like, I didn't see that the, one of the core values of the water district was to provide enough water in case there was an emergency. And then, also, enough storage water in case the bonehead trainee breaks the 8-inch pipe. You, could you imagine that? Like, we call everyone and say, hey, we're out of water for a week because this young guy, we've got to protect his name, you know. But, but, I mean, the news would come out and people would be mad at you if you drained the water system. And so they have enough water. But then the list goes on. Like, I, I remember when I was, was uh, we were at seminary and I would take the kids on my day off to give Melody a break. I would take them to the beach and we'd always go to Topanga Canyon. And, and we'd hang out there and then come home and they'd fall asleep in the car and they were just sunburnt and covered with sand and, and uh, it was just the funnest thing. But, you know, my groms are all kind of tightly knit there together. And so at that time, you know, it isn't those gender problems with kids, right? You just throw them in the bathtub. And I would just throw all three of them in there and I would crank up the water faucet and the water would come out and fill the tub. And what a blessing. That's what the water district does. They, they fill the, the pipes and they get good water there. At least we used to say potable water. We're not supposed to provide sparklets. I didn't know it was going to be a lesson on water districts. But let me just say this. The water district cannot provide sparklets. to your. And no one even knows who sparklets is. Let's say arrowhead. There we go. They cannot provide Arrowhead or Evian or any of that stuff to your house because it would corrode the system. They'd be replacing the system all the time to have that kind of amazing water come to your house. So they just have to provide what's called potable water. You've got to be able to drink it. It's got to be okay for you within reason, right, and all that stuff. But they could fill the tub, the core value, have enough water so kids can take a bath. And I know it's, it's, it's definitely taboo to wash your car now uh, because of the waste or whatever. But, but, but think of that in terms of the enjoyment. Like, man, as a water district guy, so that guy can wash his truck. Even, you know, use it properly, but rinse that truck down. Some of you guys, I'm looking at some truck washers out here. You guys like having a clean truck. Provided by the water district, the list goes on. And, and so that's that core value of theirs. Well, a core value of ours as it would extend out, not just in gathering the people together and say, hey, this is the kind of church we, ought, we might want to be. But no, the church that we want to continue to be would be a church that values the Word of God, teaching it. Biblically based. And so we come to this passage this morning and there's that reminder This church wants to be biblically based, so that's why we're looking at this story, okay? And so now, now now just moving aside from that, um, or or just let me just put a little bow on that now, that, that now as we look to God's Word this morning, it's going to tell us something. And the thing it's telling us clearly is that our faith, needs to be in what God has said. So see how you get 
like a double play there? Where, where does that bring us right back to? This is a question you can answer. If I just said that, that we need to place our faith in what God has said, what is that bringing us right back to? The Bible, exactly. The Word of God. It's not bringing back to your dream that you had or what you think God said, but what He truly has said in His Word. So now let's, let's just look at this, this story here. Or, or this um, exegesis from Romans about Abraham's faith. Paul is going to tie it to something very fundamental to us as Christians. And that is, is that we no longer live under law. But by grace we live this Christian life in faith in what Jesus has done. Now, now that's a huge thing because... Many times I think you yourself are asking this question. Is it possible that there's something more to my faith that I, I want to make sure I'm adding in? Has anybody ever had that thought while you're, while you're like, gosh, I get nervous about the idea of just completely trusting Jesus. Isn't, isn't there something I can do to also uh, kind of, you know, fortify my uh, as, as we would all know that we're going to stand before God and give an account for our life, okay? Scripture teaches us that. And, and so um, I, I don't know about you. I, I didn't see a lot of hands move there. But, but there have been times in my Christian life where I've been troubled by, ooh, is it also about what I'm doing and how I'm living? And I remember as a young Christian reading James and James comes right out and says, hey, faith without works is dead. You want to talk about your faith and not do anything? Nah, not working for me. Let me show you what I believe by what I do. And as a young Christian, that totally confused me. I thought that those two things were uh, 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 against each other, what Paul's going to talk about here. And, and later what I discovered was James was just looking at it from a different angle and he was saying, you know what? Real faith will produce real actions in your life. A, a, a real saving faith will begin to work transformation in your life and Christian growth so that you'll actually be a different person after time. That's James' take on it. But here, Paul's take is going to be at the very, uh, like he's talking about the very foundational part of our faith is that it's trust in Jesus Christ, not doing the law anymore. Because what had happened, right, in the early church, and, and I still believe it happens in our lives all the time, is that we come to this point um, where the, the Jews that had been converted are now intermixed with Gentiles or non-Jews that have been converted. And they're there following Christ. But some of the Jews are going, yeah, but we're following Christ. And yeah, we believe he's the Messiah. But we still need to keep the law. We still need to do this, 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 and this. And we need to, we need to do it as best as we can. And and so the Gentiles need to come under that. And, and you know, the, the, the Gentile believers are kind of like, whoa, like, 
Really? And so it became a conflict actually in the church that the first time the church met together as a council was to discuss this issue and say, no, that it's not keeping the law anymore. It is truly and fully faith that is come to us by God's grace. And it's about our trust in Jesus. Nothing more is the foundation of Christian belief. Putting our trust in him, that is how you begin the whole thing. And so Paul picks it up. He says, here it is. Now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. All this stuff was talking about. Okay, This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned, and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. And, and, and if you're not sure what any of that's all about, verse 25 is going to unpack it for you. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of His blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. So much you could underline there and remind yourself the beginning of this year we're reminding ourselves as a church we're biblically based but, but more important than that, remind yourself as a Christian, you are faith-based. The grace of God has appeared in your life and given you the gift of faith to trust in Christ. And that is your starting point. And I'm going to say it's your ending point. I've often said this in service before, that even now after being a Christian some 30 years... I realize now I'm more, I, I, I am more dependent upon His grace, so to speak. I've always, you know, it has to be the same amount, right? But I'm more aware of it now. Isn't that interesting? Like if you're a cook, right, you probably move away from the recipe book after a while. You're like, I know how to cook that thing. Goodness sakes, you know, my, my French toast, man, I don't look up nothing. It's just like... Bang, there it is, because I've done it so many times. And, 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 you know, I almost get to the point where I can measure that vanilla in the air. Like, ah, that's about a teaspoon, right? And so we sometimes move away from those things. Like if you're, my kids building Legos, man, they only look at the instructions the first time. And then from there, they're building all kinds of cool stuff. But for us, as we move along in this, we realize, hey, it is no less about what Jesus has done for me than it ever was. Paul then says this, where, and we're down in verse 27, where then is boasting? It's excluded because of what law? Because of what law? Or, or what law? Because of what law? The law that requires works? No, because the law that requires faith. For we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. 
Or is God the God of the Jews only? Is He not God of Gentiles too? Yes, of Gentiles too, since there is only one God who will justify the circumcision by faith and the uncircumcised through the same faith. Do we then nullify the law by this faith? Not at all. Rather, we uphold it. Listen, the law of God was given to point... Well, part of it was its main purpose is to point you to Christ. To tutor you to Christ. Um, uh, Think of it as a gas gauge. I mean, what does a gas gauge really do in your car? You know, when's the last time you've really used it to consider all kinds of things? The main thing I use it for is to tell me to go get some more gas. You know? Especially if I'm driving somewhere far, I look at it and it's way empty and I go, hmm, I need to go get gas. Now, there's been this problem in my life, a reoccurring problem where I deny what it says there and uh, or ignore what it says there. And I used to be, goodness sakes, it was so fun in my younger days. I'm not kidding. I ran out of gas maybe like twice a month. And I had a friend that said, you know what, the same <laughs> like re-commitment uh, once a week, Mark, to go buy gas on Wednesday. Like, Just go fill your car up on Wednesday and you'll eliminate that problem. But think of the law as like a gas meter. And you know what the law says when you try and keep it? It says you're empty. It says you're failing. And it says you need, not, not just in the negative sense, you need something more. When's the last time you looked at your gas? Well, we do all the time now, I think, in a negative way, because we're like, oh, crud, I got to go to the gas station, and it's four bucks a gallon. But you don't look at it like in a negative sense. You look at it in, in the light of, hey, I need to respond to that and go do something. And so the law would teach you to respond that you need faith in what Jesus has done. And so he goes on then. And he's going to say that that, that that's what he means by uh, not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. We uphold the law by turning to Christ. We say that the law of God is good because it points us to Jesus. And so here's where Abraham comes into the story. What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, discovered in this matter? If, in fact, Abraham was justified by works... He had something to boast about, but not before God. In other words, if it really happened, he could boast about it, but like from a human terms, but before God, could he boast? Could Abraham boast about his amazing life before God, his amazing faith? No way. God entered his life. God gave him promises first. Abraham responded to God be the glory, right? So that's what Paul's saying here. He says, what does Scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, wages are not credit, credited as a gift, but as an obligation. Now the interesting story is the water district still paid me that day. Isn't that funny? Like, you know, I was like eight bucks an hour and I probably caused them like thousands of dollars of havoc that day. I'm so I'm so grateful that they didn't say, okay, you know what, you get to work for the next six months for free um, because you're actually paying your debt. And that's, 
to, to tie that in with the story, you guys, that's what it would be like if we're trying to do the law. We're in debt. We're in more debt. We're in more and more debt. It's this increasing debt. And, and believe me, that wasn't the only thing I broke at the water district, okay? Um, you know, I just, it's just funny to me thinking of that right now that I still got a paycheck. And, it, and if we tried to approach God in earning our way, there's no paycheck coming. There's just debt. And there's payment upon payment upon payment. And so this comes as a credit because if you work, wages are not credited to you. They're an obligation because you did the work. But however, the one who does not work but trusts God who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. And that's the whole message of Abraham's life. Is that he believed God for what he said. And so then God credited him as righteous. And, and he sets for us the model of all time. Now we come to the New Testament and the question is, what are we believing God for? What has he promised? He's promised eternal life and the forgiveness of sin and new life in Jesus Christ through what he's done. And I know I'm preaching to the choir. I know you guys get this, but be renewed in it this morning. And be reminded this morning that it is never going to be about anything else than your faith and trust in Him. Now, if we jump down to verse 18 there, this, I think, is something you want to circle here because this is like, well, Mark, what does that look like? Well, here it is. Okay, Abraham, some 90-some years old. I, I should have wrote that down. It's a good trivial question at times. I know exactly how old he was and I forgot today, but let's just say he's up there in his 90s against all hope. Abraham in hope believed like, okay, step back here again. Remember, he's promised offspring. And he's looking at his wife and he's going, you look kind of old to be bearing children. And then he looks at himself and goes, don't worry about her in this equation. Worry about you. But now there's doubled up, right? The two of them, they're they're promised a child in their old age beyond the years of bearing children. And so what does he do? Against all hope, Abraham believed and so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him. So your offspring shall be. Now, here it is without weakening in his faith. Although when you, when you look at times, you, you see that there was, I mean, this is the, the Old Te- or the New Testament, um, you know, for the most part. Because we do know that he had his ups and downs. Okay, so don't disqualify yourself there. Um, remember that incredible story in the New Testament where Jesus asked the man, do you believe? And he says, yes, Lord, I believe, but help me in my unbelief. That is a great story to hold on to. Um, it's not saying here that that perfect faith is faith that's never um, doubting or has struggles, but it's going to be the overall picture. OK, keep that in mind that that God doesn't just, you know, he's not checking in with you on your ups and downs going, hmm, 
No, he's looking at the whole picture and he's fashioning you in you of faith that he will say over you did not weaken in the long haul. All right. So without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old. See there, I shouldn't have said anything. I should have just going there. (laughs) And Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. Underline that. That is beautiful. I'm fully persuaded that Jesus will save me in the end. That when I stand before God, I don't have to try and make any kind of, you know, here it is, Lord, here it is. No, I just get to be hidden in Christ and free from judgment. You know, the scripture says that you pass from from judgment into life. You will not be judged. Now, our our efforts and the things that we do are going to be uh, judged in the sense of reward and blessing but I myself will not be judged for my shortcomings, my, my goofiness, the sinfulness that is, is also inherent in me as a person. Not just the things I'm doing, but I start the equation already on the, on, on the, on the wrong side of it. Because I have a sin nature. Okay? And, and we know that, right? But there it is that we're trusting in God's promise, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. What has he promised you in Jesus Christ? He's promised you the forgiveness of sin. He's promised you new life. He's promised you eternity. He says he took your sins and threw them as far away as the east is from the west and buried him in the ocean of unforgetfulness. It's gone. God doesn't look at you as the goofball. Although obviously in his knowledge he sees that. But he looks at you hidden in Christ as forgiven. That there's no debt in your life. It's been paid for through Christ. And so you're a new creation. That's why Paul says my life is hid with God in Christ. When God looks at me, he sees the forgiveness and love and washed over newness that his son brings to me. And that's the good news of the gospel. If you're not experiencing that, you're, you're, you're looking at Christianity through the wrong lens and you're analyzing things or you're judging it according to the rest of us and not looking at it for what God is trying to offer you. I was telling my kids this around the table last night. I said, hey, look at the systems of the world. There is no system of religious belief that offers you the forgiveness of sin and new life. It's not out there. At best, one of them might give you a chance to come back and be a, a, a good aunt. And I don't mean the person who takes care of your nieces and nephews. I mean a little creepy crawly on the ground. Or a good cow or, or, a, or a super talented dolphin, perhaps. I, you know, I don't know. But you might get another chance to then get another chance and another chance. How many of us know that another chance is going to take us from super cool dolphin to low-life amoeba. All right? 
You know what I'm saying? Like you give me another chance and I'm, and I'm going to go down. <laughs> you know, if there is such thing as an evolutionary chain, I'm going to be going down to it. You know what I mean? I'm going to go back to the single cell mud guy. Okay. So he hoped against hope and it was credited to him. Let, let me just say these things about it. I just so much more I could say. But here in closing, let me just let me just give you these things here real quick. I want you to have this grid. This is again adding just adding to what I said about the central part of it being our faith and trust in what Jesus has done, not about anything that we do, right? But now as those that are growing in faith and modeling this thing that Abraham had said, he's going to believe God at what he said, so then go with this. Who he is, this is, this, is, this is what you should be doing. And it comes back to valuing and being biblically based. Through the scripture, you're finding out who God is. And you're putting your trust in who God is. The next thing is you're putting faith in what he has done. And there's a blank in your bulletin that you can fill in there. What he has done. What has God done? God's shown himself to be faithful. God's done everything to bring me salvation. And so I can have incredible faith even in the midst of very incredible, intense difficulty or doubt or whatever. Because I look at what God has done and I trust him. And I wish I had more time to talk about this stuff, but I, and, and my life hasn't been through any kind of ups and downs like your guys has had, but I've had my share of them. And there's those times in life where you have to say to yourself, stop, time out. What has God shown himself to be? What has God done even in your past that you could trust him more in your present? And then, through the pages of Scripture, what has God done in human history that we can trust Him? What has He done? Next is what has, or what, or you're putting your faith in who He is, what He has done, and what He has said. And we're back to Scripture, right? But if God has said it, I need to trust it. And then what He will do. But you know that we're putting faith in what He's going to do in the future, Right? That He's coming again. And that He's not leaving you abandoned to the grave. That when you die, you get to go stand and be in His presence. This isn't wishful thinking. These are His promises to us. So who He is, what He has done, what He has said, what He will do. You know, I can't answer all those questions for you. Right? And it's not my job. But it's your job along with me. To go in the pages of scripture and answer these questions daily and throughout the rest of our life. And then I separated that one. I tried to give it some distance. Because what you must do now is revealed there as well. And you need to put faith in that too, right? I need to keep doing these things. I need to keep doing the faithful thing. Even though I might not be seeing the blessing or the open door or whatever. But God has said, do this and live. And so I'm going to keep doing it and trust him in that. Lord, I know there's so much more that we could say about these things. Um, Lord, I know it's, it's, it's probably good right now to just end in this, this summons to, to think perhaps in the end, what should we do? And Jesus, I, 
I think of that clear exhortation when people came to you and said, what must we do to work, do the works of God? And you, Lord, looked at them and said, this is the work of God to believe in him whom he has sent. And so, Lord, we come full circle this morning as we take communion together and remind ourselves that this walk that we walk is a walk of trusting in you. And Lord, we see it modeled so incredibly well in Abraham's life. Lord, in Sarah's life, she received what you promised her, Lord. So God, we, Father, want to receive anew what you've promised us in Jesus Christ. And as we look to communion, God's lived out promise in giving His Son was to send Him in the world to to bear the penalty for sin and, and to give His life as a ransom for many.